Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We have a job to do, and, and we will do it with integrity, and we will do it responsibly. I look forward to, as I say, opportunities to cooperate with City Hall to make city government better. As you point out, that is, that is in fact what we are all here to do. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is the first woman ever to serve as Chicago's Inspector General, the city's watchdog. Deborah Witzberg, congratulations and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How did you celebrate the unanimous vote by the city council confirming your appointment after a, literally a parade of praise? <laughs> I came to work. <laughs> oh, come on. Truly, you have a glass of wine or celebrate something with your husband. I mean, this is quite an achievement. Yes, I did. I, I came to work and uh, spent some time in the office, and then I, I did. I celebrated it with my husband and my little girls. And what do they think of all this? Uh, they've been very supportive, and um, you know, it's it feels really good to tell my daughters that um, I get to be the first woman to do something important. Um, that's a good feeling. How old are your daughters? They are five and seven. And do they think the sky's the limit for women? They have no idea that there used to be or is or still is a glass ceiling? I think they do think that the sky is the limit. You know, they are very opinionated. I don't know where they get that from, um, but that seems to be the case. Now, you had the confidence and the integrity to resign your job as Deputy Inspector General for Public Safety to pursue this job, this top job, to replace your departed boss, Joe Ferguson, when you had zero guarantee at all that you would get the job. And that really impressed some of the aldermen who spoke on the council floor. What gave you that confidence and what went on behind the scenes? That was a hard decision. Um, you know, I I loved the work I was doing as deputy IG for public safety, and I thought it was really important work. Um, but it seemed to me that my highest responsibility was to protect the independence and integrity of the work, and that the best way to do that was to step aside and to avoid being in a situation where there would be even any question of our sort of pulling punches because I was a job applicant. And I think, you know, in the business of oversight, we ask people to do hard things every day in the name of the right thing, and, and we have a responsibility to do the same. Right, but it meant that the job, the top job, was vacant for eight months, and so was the the deputy IG job. So that office has literally been sort of leaderless pretty much for all this time. 
why did that happen and how how can we avoid it in the future? Yeah, six months or so, right? Uh, yeah, it, it, too long. I think um, this office is not built to run without permanent term protected leadership in both the IG role and the deputy IG for public safety. And I think that this, the way this selection process played out really revealed a, a few shortcomings uh, in the ordinance, in the way the law is written around the selection process. And so we need that process to happen faster. We need it to get started sooner. We need it to be more transparent. And I think that we probably need to change the provision in the law, which makes the term of the deputy IG for public safety co-terminus with the term of the appointing IG. I think that kind of automatic vacuum uh, is in leadership is really problematic. So specifically, how do you change the ordinance? Do you do you say it must be done with this much of time? It must begin this, you know, how do you do it? I think the problems are clearer than the solutions, as is, as is so often <laughs> the case. Um, I, I, there are a number of members of city council who I know have expressed some interest in working on revisions to this piece of the ordinance. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into this in more depth with some other folks who are concerned about it. I think there are sort of two approaches. One would be to include deadlines in the ordinance for various steps of the process. The other would be, and I'm not sure these are mutually exclusive, but I think the other approach would be to require public reporting at various stages of the process. Um, either or some combination of those, I think, would serve to produce a faster, more efficient selection process. Do you think, as some people do, that Mayor Lightfoot stalled this, dragged it out? I don't know. I... Um, I can comfortably say that I wish both for myself and for this office that this process had gone faster. Mayor Lightfoot and Joe Ferguson worked together at the U.S. Attorney's Office. They were friends. She was among those who recommended him to Mayor Richard M. Daley when Daley was looking for a replacement to, uh, for David Hoffman, with whom he clashed, by the way. But their relationship, Ferguson and Lightfoot, went south as the... <laughs> Watchdog and the mayor often do. They clashed to the point where Lightfoot clashed with him publicly, criticized him repeatedly in public and private, and ultimately forced him out. What went wrong with that relationship? How can you avoid the same or don't you care? Well, I think as you sort of get at there, if, um, if city officials feel warm and fuzzy about the watchdog, the watchdog's probably not entirely doing their job. I do think that there are opportunities for coordination and cooperation between OIG and other pieces of city government. There, there are places where, you know, we all can work together in the interest of the same goals, which is a better, more efficient, more accountable government. Um, and where there are those opportunities to work together, I will take them so long as and whenever they do not compromise the independence of the office. Yeah, I mean, what is it that a mayor needs to appreciate and understand? I have covered City Hall for decades. I've always wondered why mayors, whether it's Daly or Rahm or Lightfoot, don't understand and didn't understand the fundamental concept that you're there to pinpoint problems that make 
government better and that instead of being threatened and embarrassed by it, the mayor should welcome it. I agree with you, and I hope that that will be the case. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot said on the floor of City Council yesterday that she views the independence of the office as sacrosanct. I am heartened by that, and I take her at her word. Well, you're going to put it to the test, I assume. I assume so as well. Yeah, early on, she really raised eyebrows, saying she was looking for an inspector general who understands the importance of staying in their lane. What was your reaction to that statement? And do you have any intention of staying in your lane? <laughs> well, I, uh, I learned to drive in Boston and I have always understood lane markers to just be suggestions. Um, <laughs> look, I, I will do everything in my power to ensure that OIG occupies every corner of its legal mandate. I did not back down from difficult questions as public safety deputy, and I will not back down as IG. And who cares if the mayor is annoyed with it? I, yeah, I, annoyance is not um, not a reason or to shy away by it. I mean, what if what if she does to you what she did to Ferguson? Uh, you know, um, we have a job to do and, and we will do it with integrity and we will do it responsibly. Um, and, and I look forward to, as I say, opportunities to cooperate with City Hall to make city government better. As you point out, that is, that is in fact what we are all here to do. But if it's embarrassing and she doesn't like it, too bad? We have a job to do and, and we will do it. You now have the freedom of a four-year appointment. That means the freedom to drive all over the highway and change lanes, doesn't it? It does. What does a four-year term give you? I mean, you know, you're gonna go well past the next election. We don't know whether she will or will not be reelected. That's right. Um, I, I think term protection is really important. Um, it, because it exactly as you know sort of protects the office from um the the will of those who might be um embarrassed or or frustrated or or annoyed by the office's work and and that that is the, the fundamental importance of the term protection it is it is the independence bulwark um and i think you know four years is on one hand a very long time and on the other hand the blink of an eye it's time we're, we're going to get a lot done in the next four years it is also the case that given the scale of the problems in city government, we're not going to solve them all in four years. These are not, um, you know, mistrust and a lack of legitimacy and inefficiency in city government. These are problems of a scale that don't get solved in a term or an election cycle or, or in fact, perhaps a career. Um, but we are, uh, we're going to get a lot done. And, and um, you know, I've, I've talked publicly about this sense that the city of Chicago operates at a legitimacy deficit. We won't pay that debt down to zero, but we will make down, we will make payments on it. Um, we will, we will sort of make installment payments against that debt of legitimacy. And there is plenty of time to do a lot of that in four years. How do you do that? I mean, we're literally in the middle of the worst scandal, probably this corrupt city has ever seen. 
with uh, the leading to the indictment of Mike Madigan and Ed Burke, two huge kingpins. You had a uh, former zoning chairman, Danny Solis, turned FBI mole when they caught him doing things wrong. Uh, you have Carrie Austin sitting there indicted. You had you had uh, just convicted Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson. How do you make a down payment or several down payments on this deficit of trust? I think the fact that there uh, that we have city officials under investigation and under indictment is, on one hand, a sign of crisis, as you say, and on the other hand, it is a sign of progress um, because those people have, in fact, come under investigation and they are being held to account. And I think that um, that that is itself a sea change, however painful. And I think that you know, in terms of fostering public trust, people talk about restoring public trust. And I always hesitate with that a little bit because I wonder whether there in fact has ever been a level of public trust, which we should be looking to restore. I'm not sure that's the case. I think we maybe are talking about, you know, fostering trust, not restoring it. Um, it, And there are, there are a few ways to do that. Holding people to account, calling public officials to answer for their conduct is a really important piece of that. If people, if members of the public, if Chicagoans know that someone is watching and is is asking difficult questions and is in fact calling public figures on the carpet when they have abused the public trust, I think that goes a long way. That will, out of OIG, operate alongside the work we do that is directed toward policy and programs and improving efficiency and effectiveness. And if we can do both of those things at the same time, if we can on one hand ensure that the city of Chicago government and its policies are best serving the public by way of efficiency and effectiveness, while we are holding to account those who abuse the public trust, I think that will go a long way. The mayor says she's going to go after eliminating all demonic prerogative over zoning again. She points to the maneuverings of Danny Solis uh, that were outlined in the Madigan indictment as proof of the need to do that, even though her mayoral allies in the city council have said this is a fight she is destined to lose. What is your opinion on her going after that? Should she do it? Is it a fight she should take on? You know, I, I would stop short of opining on whether she should take it on. I would say, I think, in terms of the structure of city council and, and the way the role of of alders is set up, I think we need to strike a balance between uh, capitalizing on the local knowledge of alders, right? It is, in fact, the case that they have local knowledge about their wards that uh, no one else has. We need to capitalize on that while eliminating opportunities for abuse. And so I think that's that's the balance to strike. How? Do you do it by eliminating all demonic prerogative over zoning or does that go too far? I don't know. I, I think that is, um, that is, I think, a political question. Um, and OIG's role there will be to ensure that however that lands, where there remain opportunities for abuse, uh, you know, it will be our role to ensure that that, that there is no misconduct. Ferguson had an opinion. He said she shouldn't take that on because it was an unofficial thing and you're never going to end it. So she shouldn't try. I, I will, I will, uh, I will stop short of, of agreeing or otherwise. You're punting. <laughs> At least you admit it. 
Under your leadership in Ferguson's, the public safety section did a series of very high profile audits and reports, sharply critical of the Chicago Police Department and Lightfoot. Those rep reports targeted everything from the error-filled gang database and the slow walk toward compliance with the federal consent decree to a shot spotter contract that you said rarely leads to investigatory stops or an evidence of gun crimes that can change the way the officers interact with areas they're charged with patrolling. Even more damning was, uh, and embarrassing really, was your blistering critique of the police department's handling of civil unrest in 2020 that devolved into the two devastating rounds of looting. You talked about police being outflanked and unprepared for problems that should have been anticipated and that they were left to fend for themselves, basically. Now we have Chicago in the middle of an unprecedented crime wave that has residents and employees and business leaders across the city running scared. What will you as Inspector General be doing on both violence reduction and police oversight? One of the things that I'm really looking forward to bringing to this job is my experience both as a prosecutor in Cook County and doing police oversight work. I think exactly as your question suggests, we are facing a situation in which um, both violent crime and the state of police oversight are, are really sort of at, uh, at a crucible moment. Um, we need to get away from a world in which people think about violence reduction and police reform as alternatives to each other. In fact, these are not alternatives to each other. It's that we can't do one without the other. The Chicago Police Department cannot keep Chicagoans in uniform or out safe unless and until we reform the police department and the way it operates. And so this is not a choice between reform and law and order. This is reforming a police department so that it can keep people safe. So what are you gonna do about those? What can you do in your role to push that? Well, I think we can do two things. In, 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 in a similar way that we talked about with respect to corruption, um, the public safety section of our office, working alongside our investigative section, um, can do two things. We can, we are specifically empowered by ordinance to look at policy as well as practice. And so we can look at the core law enforcement operations of the police department and make recommendations to help the police department do better what it is that, that's at the core of their function. Solving, solving crimes, reducing violent crime, service to crime victims, those sort of core law enforcement functions which go to keeping people safe, we can look at ways that the department can do that more effectively. While in the meantime, um, also looking at critical reform imperatives around transparency and accountability, we're, we are also, in addition to that policy work, we're specifically empowered to oversee the police disciplinary system and to ensure that members of the police department who break the rules are appropriately investigated and held to account. Um, and so, you know, we, we can do both of those things at the same time, where a reformed, accountable, transparent police department will be more effective at keeping people safe, as I say, in uniform and out. Any specifics that you wanna focus on quickly? I would just say quickly, you know, the, the 
police investigative and disciplinary system is enormously complex. It is Byzantine. Um, and I am really looking forward to continuing our work in demystifying that, both for members of the department and members of the public. I think that if we had an investigative and disciplinary system in which people had reason to have confidence, that would go a long way toward um, you know, a, a world in which we had a better relationship between the police department and the community it serves. Ferguson did a number of reports highlighting police overtime abuses, yet with police officers retiring literally faster than the city can hire their replacements, overtime has never been higher. What will you do about that? We are looking at a number of questions around staffing um, as well as hiring. We, we published a report last year looking at the department's hiring process and the way people sort of fall out of that process, I think that um, there's there's more work to be done. Staffing is a critical piece of the overtime question. We need the right number of members, both civilian and sworn, in the right places in the department, and we need transparency around how those staffing decisions are made, how the department decides how many people it needs, how it puts people in those places, and how it decides whether they are to be sworn and civilian. Right. And every mayor that I've ever covered has talked about beat realignment and putting the cops where they belong, where the crime is highest. None have been willing, had the courage to take it on because it involves robbing Peter to pay Paul. I think I think that's right, um, that there is a lot of hesitation around taking it on. I also think there's a lot of opaqueness around the way these decisions are made. Um, the department has, the city has periodically, for example, asserted privilege over staffing analyses. Um, and so it's, it is harder than it should be to get answers to questions about how many police officers are assigned where. We've seen a number of, over recent months and years, a number of kind of back and forth decisions about whether, you know, members will be allocated to districts or assigned to citywide teams and kind of how we make those decisions. We need a plan for staffing the police department in a way that is effective. And is it high time that the mayor have the guts to put the cops where the crime is highest? Well, I think that we need a transparent and principled process for staffing and for, for manpower allocation. And how would that work? There are a number of different approaches that police departments across the country take to staffing. Some of them are sort of up from crime rates. Others of them are kind of down from available staffing. Um, I think that I, I, I look forward to a kind of conversation about how CPD is making those decisions in the light of day. I think there has not been adequate transparency around staffing decisions in the past. And I hope that's one of the things that will change. Mayor Lightfoot campaigned on a promise to bring in the light, and yet she's kept a lot of things in the dark. For example, she has refused to release the full report on the drinking and driving incident that culminated in the forced early retirement of former police superintendent Eddie Johnson, also the botched demolition of the Hilco plant in Little Village. Uh, what should happen to those reports, and how should that ordinance be changed? 
I think this is a challenging question because on one hand, we are in the business of transparency. And on the other hand, there really is a place for investigative confidentiality in some of this work. I, you know, I spent six years at OIG in a number of different jobs, including working on our investigative teams. And, and I have conducted both witness and subject interviews in OIG investigations where we would not have gotten the information we needed if we had not, you know, been in a position to offer some assurances around confidentiality. I think it's there's an analog to investigative journalism where transparency is the object, um, but we, you know, we also sort of recognize the sanctity of, of confidential sources and so on. And so I think there's there's a balance to be struck here so that we are both protecting those interests while serving the larger goal of transparency. I think the, the way the municipal code is currently written, it is the corporation council, not the office of inspector general, but the city's law department who has the discretion to release some IG reports under some circumstances. It, those are written um, fairly narrowly uh, and with and and written to vest the corporation council with a great deal of discretion about which reports are released. And um, that shouldn't be, should it? Well, I think that is. Um, very few reports have ever been released by the law department pursuant to that provision of the ordinance. I think that's something that that needs re-examination. I think, um, you know, that is that was a fairly new provision of the law. And I think like many new pieces of the law, it probably bears revisiting. You think both of those reports ought to be released, right? The Johnson and the uh, Hilco? I'm not going to offer an opinion specifically on those reports, but I, I am interested in ensuring that we are striking this balance right between confidentiality and transparency. And we're not now. I think I think this bears some revisiting. And then we have the botched raid on the wrong home of social worker Anjanette Young, the infamous raid where she was forced to stand naked for a few minutes before a all-male team of, uh, of police officers while they searched the home that was the wrong home. Um, Ferguson said that Lightfoot's decision to hire a private law firm to investigate the police raid and use attorney-client privilege to conceal details of that probe stymied his efforts to find out what happened. He interviewed scores of people, but he was unable to recommend disciplinary action against any city employees because Lightfoot had asked former federal judge Ann Claire Williams and her Jones Day law firm to launch a simultaneous investigation. And there was attorney-client privilege uh, that shielded information from him. What about that? The raid on Angela Ann's home was a tragedy for um, of of enormous proportion, which is why you know people continue to to talk about it and worry about its consequences. Um, I, um, you know, the work that OIG did with respect to that specific incident um, was done under some significant limitations, some of which you've talked about there. We continue to look programmatically at issues around search warrants and the way CPD builds the information which provides the basis for search warrants. We'll continue to do that work. Um, you know, I, and I hope that our doing so will prevent similar tragedies in the future. Before closing out his extraordinary 12-year run, Ferguson took Lightfoot to task on three issues with the police department, the shot spotter thing, the shoddy record keeping that he says in, interferes with their investigations and the error filled database. 
um, he said that uh, that the 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 reports they can't even access reports in their possession that that impede their own investigations. What what do you think about these three things, and what do you intend to do about them? Well, I think each of those things is critical to the core law enforcement functions of the police department that we talked about. Those are precisely the sorts of things which the police department should and could be doing better in order to keep people safer. So we should be using tools which are effective uh, for law enforcement purposes. Uh, We should be keeping records in a way that both enables the police department and the city to meet its legal and constitutional obligations, but also provides for effective investigative work. Um, And we should be using information internally in ways that are reliable um, and accurate. And so those those are three, I think, very good examples of exactly the sort of work we talked about, where by reforming the practices of the police department, we can, in fact, make it more effective at keeping people safe. Which of those concern you most? Um, they all they all concern me a great deal. I will say that the project on records management and the the ability of the department to identify and produce its own records is a project I worked on during my time in the public safety section, and an issue sort of close to my heart as a former prosecutor. Our you know the police department does not operate in a silo. It is part of the sort of criminal justice ecosystem, um, which includes criminal prosecution, and we cannot effectively prosecute criminals if the police department cannot meet its legal and constitutional obligations with respect to information in its possession. And so that, in my mind, is really a a sort of bellwether for the way the the police department must function as an effective piece of this criminal justice ecosystem in order to keep the city safer. Ferguson talked also about the fact that city department heads are no longer executing recommendations to rectify problems pinpointed by his office's exhaustive program audits. This is, he said, in fact, they had fallen off the cliff. And yet that runs contrary to what Mayor Lightfoot said, um, where she said on the floor that the audit function was terribly important. But Ferguson took a swipe at her and said, there are no consequences at all to failing to execute on the promises made in response to his recommendations, and that's her fault. Well, I think um, I was heartened by Mayor Lightfoot's comments yesterday with respect to the audit work. Um, I think onward, we will continue to do audit and program review work, which identifies areas of ineffectiveness and inefficiency. And I look forward to partnering with City Hall to ensure that our recommendations are implemented. And you're going to hold her to that and throw that quote back in her face, maybe? I look forward to I look forward to partnering with City Hall. I think um, there's there's an opportunity here for refresh and recommitment um, to maximizing the impact of OIG's work, and I'm looking forward to doing that. Do you think the fact that she's uh, in an election campaign is going to put more heat on her to do stuff like that? That I think is not a question for us to answer. Um, we will continue to do our work in a way that is as uh, insulated as it can be from the political process. 
Ferguson's powers were broadened to include investigating aldermen. He did some audits, audits on committee spending. He targeted the aldermanic menu program that they treasure. He said that tree trimming needs to be done on a grid system. Is this an area that you intend to focus on, even though you might step on some toes? The, the way that city council operates and the way that um, alders you know, uh, exercise power and services in their wards, I think is is very close to, to people's hearts. I think that that is the sort of point of entry for city government and city services for many Chicagoans. That's the first line of response. And so I, I do think that will continue to be an important area of focus. Before we let you go and wish you luck, uh, should we have a meter on how quickly you clash with Mayor Lightfoot and this uh, relationship goes sour? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, history tells us we should you know i am uh i'm honored to be appointed i'm looking forward to getting to work um and and to working with city hall deborah best of luck to you um we will watch with interest the work that you do the challenges are great and we will see you all next week thank you so much 